We're about to touch on a topic that's getting a lot of attention in the media at the moment. Our guest today, Joe Mason, founder and CEO of Workhaven. Eventually, I was left in a situation where I couldn't deny the inevitable, which was that I was living in a domestic violence situation. I probably, like many people, thought, this isn't right. This this must just be a bad day or a bad week. Or it'll ju- it's just a patch. If a female or any individual finds themselves in a domestic violence situation, why don't they just leave? Probably a more important question is, why don't they stop? Someone recently called it domestic terrorism. When you're living in your own environment, somewhere that's supposed to be safe, and it's not... Where do you go? I've been an ambassador for Brisbane Domestic Violence Service for the last five years, so I've done a lot of speaking on the topic, and whenever I talk about it, it's cathartic. Wakebutt Radio, coming through on your wireless. (laughs) That's good water. What sort of water is that? It's Mount Franklin, I think. Oh, it is too. No, Frantel. Mount Franklin. Frantel. The perfect traveller. I'm not going anywhere. very clearly not a Mount Franklin bottle. Look, mate, just do the intro, would mate, you? Mate, I'm trying to, but you're over here <laughs> with your water bottles not knowing what brand's what. And on that note, let's fire into another episode of Trademark Radio because today we have an amazing guest in the studio and we're about to touch on a topic that's getting a lot of attention in the media at the moment and we're super proud to touch on. But um, our guest today, Joe Mason, she's the founder and CEO of Workhaven. She's originally from Kent in the southeast of London, which you might pick up from her accent. Although it's still she's, faint. She's been here for 22 <laughs> years. Um, and, well, a couple of other things. She's lived in a kibbutz <laughs> when she was um, working on an ostrich farm in Jordan, in the Jordan Valley. Um, and she has a life mission to take her seven-year-old son globetrotting because every mother-son duo should get out there and live their lives. Joe, welcome to the studio. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for having me. How was that for an intro? I think that was pretty fab. That Thank was, you. That worked. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you meant to say Israel. Jordan Valley isn't in Jordan, is it? Jordan Valley in Israel, yeah, right? You said Jordan, Correct. but it's all right. Jordan Valley. Absolutely. Absolutely. I stand corrected. <laughs> Tell us about working on an ostrich farm. <laughs> Oh, um, I had just finished college and I wanted a bit of an adventure and I was at a party one Friday night and somebody said they just got back from Israel and I don't know, somehow I found myself signed up to head over there a few weeks later and um, I started off working in the banana plantations because I was tall, they liked me being able to climb up trees and tie things up and and then I worked in the kitchen for a while but I flooded them so I got banished down to the Jordan Valley to look after baby ostriches. That sounds terrible. Yeah it was kind of crazy. It's probably the craziest job I've ever had actually. Ostriches get massive don't they? They're like they're way bigger than emus. Yeah well I looked after the babies which involved sort of feeding them and moving their enclosures and hanging out with them but by the time they were bigger and they could damage people they were moved up to the mountains and they're, they're sort of they you couldn't go into the enclosures without protective clothing and sticks and stuff like that because they can kick both ways so people can get pretty hurt. Have they got those knees that yeah that go yeah like pivot yeah they're crazy and is ostrich farming big in israel well, why are they farming ostriches know. what do they need them for the eggs um, feathers. They, the eggs and i think the feathers but also the meat yeah Ostrich. Well, there Ostrich, you go. there you go. So it's a multifaceted animal. It's not just, yeah. Not like it a, is. Oh, I suppose chickens, you get eggs and meat, but you don't use their feathers. So, yeah, right. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. There, there you, you go. go. Yeah, good. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, to, to preface and give some overview of like what we want to chat about today is obviously a domestic violence, and it's something that 
is massive in the media. Probably has been for I don't know, like last eighteen months, two years. It's it's grown um, to be like a, a very big topic um, in Australia and something that uh, we're not we're talking about, but I still don't think we're talking about it enough, and I don't think we're sort of defining it enough and getting a better un- understanding and education in this space. Yeah. Um, so like the mental health space, obviously they both intertwine quite a lot, but it was sort of, there's so much awareness, but it's like, right, let's talk about how we can actually solve this issue now. Um, and yeah, we're really humbled to have you come in today and, and tell your story and, and talk about what you're doing with Workhaven. But I mean, a, a bit of a background, you were, you were saying you were working, uh, you're, you're in marketing? Yes, I was in marketing yep. for about 20 years. Great fun. Dan loves marketing. <laughs> Absolutely, I do. <laughs> I'm the tagline king, if I do say so myself. Every marketer says that. I love it. <laughs> um, so, and you said you were, um, yeah, so, so working in the, in the corporate world in marketing and then um, you found yourself in a, in a relationship where you were a victim of, of domestic and, and family violence. Yeah, that's correct. So I actually had a corporate job within the construction industry. Um, I'd been in a relationship for some time um, and things had slowly um, got worse and worse and um, eventually I was left in a situation where I couldn't deny the inevitable, which was that I was living in a domestic violence situation. So um, after it, it was a very difficult realisation to make. Um, There's a lot of things that sort of uh, are impacted. The ripples of domestic violence are really broad and I knew that the impacts of that realisation on my life and the fact that I could no longer ignore it meant there was going to be significant change to my life. And not easy change, but it was necessary change. And I left my domestic violence situation um, and, as I say, those ripples played out for me. What what you were saying earlier off air... It was sort of uh, like boiling a frog. It was sort of the, you know, you don't go on a first date with someone um, and they don't wear a T-shirt saying that I'm a, I'm a you know, a domestic violence or a, <laughs> an abuser um, per se. And what was that progression like? And what were sort of the early signs that there was something that wasn't quite right? Because domestic violence is, there's so many different things. It's not just physical, it's financial, it's, what's the word? Coercive, Coercive control. control. Yeah. Um, yeah, run, run us through. And it, there's so, many t- so much to unpack in that one question. But in my personal situation, yes, the person was really charming. Um, they seemed to have everything that I was looking for at the time. I had a good job. I had a great circle of friends. I was financially doing well. I had a couple of dogs that I loved. Life was really good. All that I was looking for was my Prince Charming to complete the picture. And, um, and I thought he arrived. And very charming, fitted really well into my life. Um, Things moved along very quickly um, and I was sort of really flattered by that. I thought that it was because things were working so well. But in actual fact, in hindsight, I think it was because it was really hard to keep that facade up. For, for too long of, of things looking like the fairy tale. and From his side, it was hard he, for him to do yeah. that. Yeah. And so um, then as soon as things went down a path where it was harder to remove myself from the situation, that's when things weren't quite so happy. And, um, and, and at first, I think I, I probably, like many people, thought, this isn't right. This, this must just be a bad day or a bad week or it must be work stress or maybe I've said the wrong thing or it'll ju- it's just a patch. But as time went on, I realised it wasn't a bad patch. And as I say, 
over the years, it grew to a point that I couldn't ignore the fact that there was something wrong with the dynamic and there was something wrong with the way that this person viewed me as a partner and the way that they wanted to treat me as a partner. And um, eventually when there, there was a significant incident at the home and I couldn't ignore it any longer and that was the moment that I really had to acknowledge I was a victim of domestic and family violence. Wow, okay. There's so much to unpack there. It's sort of like, do, do you do you think that your abuser set out from the get-go to work towards doing that? Like, was that something that he, like he set out to do? Like, get a relationship, build trust, and then go down that path? Or is that something that you think he mentally struggled and then he was just taking it out through this relationship? Does that make sense? Um, like, was there a decline? Like yeah, was it like, and, and went, was he like, I'm going to get in a relationship with someone and then I'm going to work my way to doing this to this person? Or was it setting out the same that you set out to have a, a meaningful and, and strong relationship with someone, but then something was going yeah. wrong with them and then it started to impact them? I think that they had always been that sort of way. Okay. I don't think even today they would look back and think that, what they did was um, what the, I don't think they'd even look back today and label themselves as a domestic violence perpetrator. I think it's something that's inherent in the way they behave. They are naturally quite a controlling person, yeah. and I think that that's what they—that's just how they view the dynamics of a relationship. So I don't think they sort of had a game plan and thought yeah. this is what I'm going to do. I just think it was the way that they view the way relationships should be. Should be okay. Yeah, I, I feel like because um, I have had many conversations with like my grandmother, right? Um, Shout out, Ronnie. Yeah, <laughs> and you know, I back in the day, you know, post-war, you know, there's lots of blokes with PTSD and you know, self-medicating heavily with alcohol, alcohol yeah. and all this kind of stuff. And I feel like there was an entire generation of women that just accepted that this was kind of almost the norm and, and and so many people have then grown up, you know, kids in those situations who have grown up seeing that um, and also accepted that that was just the way things are and that it gets sort of passed on to generation to generation. But then now we're right in a, you know, in a severe and, and positive shift where we're saying no, like actually we're saying fuck no, yeah. like – that's not okay, and we're seeing the the whole the, the the whole table turn. Do you think that's you know? Do you think there's a lot of people out there who are still sort of sort of coming through that change and, and you know from from seeing that sort of stuff? Yeah, definitely. So um, domestic violence isn't something that's new. It was brought to our attention particularly around the time that Rosie Batty lost her son Luke in a violent incident at a cricket training. Um, oh, to his son yeah. years ago, I remember that. And in front of a whole, in front of a whole community, um, <sighs> that was how long ago was that? I'm trying to think when uh, I couldn't give you an exact date, but it w it was several years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember now. Yeah, well, it's been almost ten. Yeah, she she, she won Australian of the Year, and it started to really put domestic violence uh, and cr she created a movement. And she was very she she's an incredible human being, and she went out and spoke very publicly um, about what had happened and 
and about her experience. And it really started to create a sea change around people's views of domestic violence and started to put it firmly on um, on, on our agenda as a yeah. nation. But you're absolutely right. Domestic violence isn't new. It hasn't. It's not something that's just suddenly emerged. Um, it could be argued that it's escalating and it's getting more significant, but it certainly isn't something that's new and we have evidence of it in history. We have evidence of it from generations back. And I know that since I started working in domestic and family violence and have had those very open conversations, people will talk to me about it who've never spoken to anyone about it before and they've talked about their family incidents that they've witnessed or been a part of and how that's shaped them um, and the influence that that's had over them, either that um, they have a distorted view of healthy relationships or they're determined never to have those kind of relationships in their lives. Um, but it, people are starting to recognise the correlation between what they've experienced and how they approach relationships moving forward. So it's a really important conversation to pack um, to unpack. Yeah. Um, and... Um, it, it, you, you're absolutely right. This is something that's been going on for a long time, for a very long time. But as with many um, topics, you know that we talk about now that are coming to the forefront, where where you know marginalised members of society have been suffering in whatever you know segment that they fall into, it takes really you know vulnerable you know and, and powerful people to actually be telling their story and to be talking about this and to be bring it to the forefront to For actually action change because otherwise nothing happens so i've got to say firstly congratulations and well done on, on on sitting here and actually talking about this stuff because it is people like you and your rosy buddies and and you know numerous other individuals out there who have the courage now to actually come out and talk about this stuff because otherwise nothing changes Absolutely. And in it, the storytelling is so powerful because the more people that tell their stories, the more people will recognise I'm impacted yeah. by this Can or relate. I'm doing this. Yeah. And when people recognise those things, that's when they can go on and seek the support that they need to make the changes that they need, whether it's to find support and get out of a situation, whether it's to change their behaviour, whatever that looks like. But Without we, we can't be what we don't see. So until we actually get this out and be open about these conversations, we're not going to see the change. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I'll, yeah, I'll, we probably feel privileged to be able to have these conversations and share these stories because that's what we're here to do, have these conversations that everyone should be having. Um, that's great. Before we like sort of dive into the work that you do or how you came to start work and all that sort of stuff, I'd just like to go back a little bit because I've heard and I'm sure you, Ed, you probably as well, a number of occasions of like if an individual, if a female or any individual finds themselves in a domestic violence situation, why don't they just leave? Now, and that is a very, very complicated scenario because there's obviously so many factors at play. Now, what role does that part of the discussion play in this entire topic? Yeah, and look, you're forgiven for asking that question, but it's the worst question that can be asked. And um, it's I can't count the number of times I've been asked that question in the last few years. Um, probably a more important question is why don't they stop? There's a number of reasons that people don't leave a domestic violence situation. That might be that um, they're fearful that the situation will escalate. You just have to look at the statistics and the danger point for somebody to leave a domestic violence situation and it's when they're leaving that it's at its most dangerous. But there's also um, 
risk of that they're they're fearful about what that means for their time with their children. They might be fearful for their pets. They might be fearful about finances. They might be fearful about where they're going to go. And let's not forget, you get into a relationship and stay in a relationship genuinely because you love someone. And so we tend to forget that side of things around domestic violence as well. There's a huge grief around it because you're leaving something that you hoped would be completely different. And so there's a range of reasons that people don't leave domestic violence um, situations and we can't judge that. What we can do is ask better questions and that is why don't they stop and what can we do to make this situation stop? Absolutely. That's uh, that's such a good way to frame it as well, isn't it? And my question to that is when this was going on, what what were you saying to him and what was his response after these things were happening in the home? Like obviously you were saying like stop doing this or like this isn't – what was his resp- like response and what was the, the conversations had after these incidents were happening at home? There was very frank conversations. I'm a very direct person as you can probably tell from our conversation <laughs> yeah. today um, and I think a perception often is with victims of domestic violence that we just stand back and let it happen. It certainly wasn't the case and it's not the case of um, – any domestic violence victim I've ever met before. Um, it was boundaries were tried to reinforce, but also domestic violence isn't just generally. It's it it's not physical. It's just, it's not just a physical scenario. It's something that undermines your confidence. It um, ebbs away at your uh, your your compass and at the way that you view the world. It, you suddenly lines become blurry about what's happening, what what's real, who's at fault, all those different things. It's a very confusing situation. Very manipulative and very manipulative. Yeah, yeah, situation. yeah, yeah. And so there would be conversations. Um, there would be uh, you know extreme upset. Um, but the dynamics of the the relationship had been set and they remained. Was he remorseful at any stage in it? Um, Apologetic? Not really. Okay. So it, so but, what but I'm sort of understanding is that he didn't probably understand what he was doing, right? Is that right? I think it was just so ingrained that that was the way that you behave in a relationship. But but that, but my the, the other thing that we really need to get our heads around today is everyone's situation is so very different. There are common Absolutely. threads. Absolutely. And, and this is why when we're talking, as I'm sure we will later, about solutions, there is no one-size-fits-all for domestic and family violence because everyone's situation is different. The kind of um, the, the, the family dynamic might be different. The way that somebody is impacted might be different. The way that um, the, the abuse plays out might be different. That personal's working or family circumstance might be different. What they want to do with their life might be different. And so we need to create a really robust but complex response to a complex situation which um, is where do you even start yeah like you know (laughs) the the other thing um the other thing that you hear a lot is i wish i had i wish he hit me i wish i had the bruises to show and this kind of stuff because it's not always in fact while i actually don't know the statistics you might be able to educate us here but the physical side of things is it's not always like that it's obviously just one component of it and it doesn't always happen right so, 
domestic violence, as you're right, is very, very complicated and it might involve physical abuse, sexual abuse. It might involve uh, alienation from friends and family, and so social isolation. It might involve financial control. It might be male privilege where there's an expectation because you're a female and they're a male, you have different roles within the household. It could be name-calling. It could be belittling, diminishing. And there's a whole range, there's a whole spectrum of different forms of of domestic abuse. Um, I personally can honestly say that the the control and the verbal abuse were personally more wounding to me than anything else. Um, and nowadays, um, I I don't look back upon my experience other with, than with the lessons that I learned. But that's taken a long time. And for that period after I left, when I did look back on it, the thing that I would think about would be that name calling and that control. That was the stuff that really got to me more than anything and this else. Is, and this is, um, it makes me think about bullying and the effect that bullying and persistent bullying has on, say, young people or anyone actually. Um, and that, yeah, it's the, that's kind of almost what you're talking about here is like it's almost persistent bullying within the you household. can't escape so it's it's and it just I, I, makes you feel like shit constantly it's it's someone recently called it domestic terrorism and mm. so if you imagine you're living in your own environment somewhere that's supposed to be a sanctuary where you close the door at night and it's somewhere that's supposed to be safe and secure and it's not where do you go? What what else have you got left? And this is one of those things as well because, I mean, we t- I've always talked about this a lot, you know, on a range of topics, but around mental health and, you know, particularly also with domestic violence is the person that you know, your colleague, your mate, your whoever it is in your day-to-day life, they could be a completely different person as soon as they close their door at night and you just have no idea. You just yeah. do not know what someone is capable of, what their true colours are like, you know, behind closed doors. And that's the scary part because... Yeah, well, yeah. I've, I've had this conversation with my uncle before because and I've been thinking about this um, ever since we lined this podcast up, racking my brain to be like, have I ever witnessed any domestic violence or anything in my life? And I'm, like, happy to say that I haven't, right? But I'm in a privileged situation, obviously, right? Like, I'm, I feel privileged that I haven't had to deal with any of this stuff in my life. But I said to Michael, I, like, I couldn't imagine the calibre of bloke that would be going home and bashing their missus up. I just couldn't, I just couldn't even begin to picture who that person is, you know what I mean? And he said um, that when – he had the same, same thing happen when he was uh, out of school – that the, the, this bloke, mates, everyday fella, but found out this bloke was going home every night and absolutely thrashing into his missus. And he's like, that's the last person you would, I would have expected to be, you know? And they're, they're just hiding away, like you've just said, the, the sanctuary of their home and their the, the private life, and they're a completely different person. Because I'm sure, you know, your abuser was someone completely different away from the, the home as well. You know what I mean? Yeah, I used to look at them and think... If the people outside of this household knew, knew yeah. you wouldn't have these people in your life anymore. Um, but I think it's not just something that's really important to go back to is it's not just someone that's coming home and being physically abusive to their partner. It's the things that come out of their mouths and the yeah. thi- and, and that lack of – and it's that sense of entitlement of or ownership that I have the right to do this to you. 
And I think that was probably the thing that upset me the most. You think you have the right to do this. But when you're talking about, um, you know, you, you haven't seen domestic and family violence and, and that's great. But I, it's what I've been blown around, blown about, it's blown out about um, since I came out and started talking about domestic and family violence is one of the reasons I didn't come out earlier and I didn't talk about it was I thought I was the only person it was happening to. Yeah. But now I talk to people and it's it's everywhere. It's it doesn't domestic violence does not discriminate. It doesn't it doesn't it doesn't look and go, well, what job do you have or how much money do you have or what kind of house do you live at or car you drive in or or any of those things. It doesn't it doesn't discriminate. And so the, the vast amount of people that I have met, and they might be CEOs, they might be people in the media, they, they might be um, a whole range of people that have high-profile jobs that you would never imagine are impacted by domestic and family mm. violence. But even sitting around having a chat with mates at the pub, and in it, it comes into conversation what I do for a living, and then the conversation, you know, everyone wants to talk about it, which is a great thing, and I think that's a shift that I've seen over the last few years, um, is everybody's got a story, whether yeah. it's something within their family, an ex-relationship, a friend of theirs, somebody at work, everyone has a story. Mm, Absolutely. I, I, would, I would almost challenge you on what you said about you've never seen domestic violence or you're grateful because you've never seen it and say that I don't actually believe that enough of us like actually know what it looks like. And that it's actually all around us. I'm talking about. I'm talking about per, personally, and but I, de- I would definitely for. know of people that have, and yeah, inf- and examples of. But I'm saying, for me as a per- personally in a home growing up, oh, you're never, growing up, right? I, I'd I'm never witnessed you. this. Uh, it was, you know what I mean. Like, yeah, I never yeah, had yeah. anything where I was like, shit. Looking back, that was pretty bad. Mm. Like I'm, I'm happy to say that I haven't been through any of that, but I would know, I would know what to look for. If it did happen, if that makes sense, yeah, because like I can't think back and think, oh shit, that shouldn't, that, that doesn't seem quite right. And I think um, it is so important for us to understand all the, like the forms that domestic violence takes, particularly blokes, because it's on all of us to actually start calling out these behaviours within our own circles, within our own friendship circles, within our own families. Because if we stand only by and witness all types of behaviours that are classified as domestic violence, well, then we might as well, you know, be, be part of the... We are part of the problem, right? Yeah. And I think that... And it's not to say that, you know, it's everyone's fault. It's just the education isn't there or hasn't been there, you know, for so long. But now we're getting to a point where, you know, we are educating ourselves on all the different forms of, of domestic violence. And so it's crucial that we all call it out because the the shit that we're seeing in the media over and over again is unacceptable. Yeah. And, it's and horrific. That's, that's so right. I mean, um, we are all part of the solution. It's not people talk about it as a woman's issue. It isn't. It's all of our issue and we all need to take a uh, you know, play a part in the stand against domestic violence and working towards a solution. And I firmly believe the behaviour we choose to walk past is the cho- behaviour we choose to accept. Yeah, so if you are witnessing somebody that's being disrespectful to their partner or somebody else and you're not you're not picking up on that or doing something to sort of say hang on is that okay then you're giving them a silent endorsement of that behavior 
And it's a really hard conversation. I'm not underplaying that. I know it is. But nevertheless, we really need to think about what that means. My personal opinion and um, is that there is no silver bullet to domestic and family violence. I wish there was. I wish Workhaven didn't need to exist and we weren't sitting here and talking today. But at this point in time, it's a reality and it's a big reality for us. There are two key factors in the stand against domestic and family violence and they are connection and understanding. Yeah. If we understand domestic violence, then the people who are impacted by it, whatever kind of domestic violence it is, will recognise it. Yeah. And we'll know what it is. Or if we're committing domestic and family violence and we know what it is, we'll know exactly what we're doing. And if we have connection, then those of us that are impacted by domestic violence will reach out to get the support that we need. And those that understand it and feel connected will lean in to support us. So the more that we can create connection and understanding, get this into a conversation like we're having today, where we bring it to the forefront of people's minds and make people understand what it is, and then we encourage people to reach out and support one another, then that's a that's one hell of a step in the right direction. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I wanna I wanna ask, like, where where do you think that it's stemming from, right? And like historically, I know we spoke historically about, you know, domestic violence has been around forever. Is there and I don't expect you to not an- tell me an answer for this if you don't know, but like, is there an ebb and flow in regards to society and things that have gone on through history that have caused more domestic violence to happen? Like, you know, large recessions or, you know, is there something wars? The pandemic that we've just been through. Yeah, that's like, what I mean. So yeah. is there, are there ebbs and flows through history? Like, right, are these are key indicators to say there's going to be domestic more domestic violence now because these things are happening. There are a number of different causes um, that, may lead to the escalation of domestic and family violence. The foundation of domestic and family violence is the imbalance of the gender imbalance. So looking at the way historically women have been respected, treated, viewed, paid, um, and that has laid a sorry foundation for the way that women are treated often. And so that's a much bigger topic that we need to address as a nation um, and we ne- really need to think about the way that we think about and treat women full stop. Yeah. When you're asking me questions about things that could um, trigger an increase in domestic violence, um, if you speak to domestic violence services, they talk about how they will increase their support on things like footy finals, state of origin, big sporting events, things that are going to lead to a, um, a, a mixture of emotion and alcohol. And so there's definitely things like that. We know that COVID has led to spikes. So you think about COVID, it was people spending more time with each other because they were at home, more pressures, things like financial pressure, a sense of the unknown. It was something that none of us had ever dealt dealt with before Mm. and we didn't know where it was going to go. We're still trying to navigate our way out of it now. Um, And people being... Um, people being, there was a sense that people could be controlled even more so within their own home. Yeah, yeah. That, what you mentioned about uh, mix of emotions and alcohol, brings up a range of issues for me because I lost one of my best mates to suicide over a mix of emotions, heightened emotions and alcohol. Now, I know that guys, men do, men with a lack of emotional intelligence and emotional control mixed with alcohol does not work it does not work and you see it over and over again yeah um 
there's something in there that we're not doing right where, you know, we use alcohol as, a, you know, the easiest and most unhealthy coping mechanism. But combine that with just a complete lack of being able to understand our emotions and, and regulate our emotions, this is what we're seeing, this kind of stuff. You talk about footy finals and, and that, it's just... Well, yeah, I want to... Yeah, and I want to ask on sort of off that... I know we were saying domestic violence doesn't discriminate, but like, is there what? What are the statistics based around you know um, societal, like society, and like um, you know what people where where they live or what they do for a living or socioeconomic, socioeconomic status is what I'm looking for. We yeah. don't like, have a picture. We don't and have a picture of that. And that that's a key issue. So there is. Um, there's certainly statistics around domestic and family violence, the economic impact, uh, the economic impact, the number of domestic violence orders, the number of breaches, a whole. But we, as a nation, do not have a decent picture around domestic and family violence and how that happens. Now, there's a few reasons for that, but one of the major ones is that most people don't report domestic and family violence. So um, it's. Uh, it, there's a there's an enormous ratio around people that don't come forward. So, and I would argue that a lot of those people that aren't coming forward are people that are in uh, are probably more senior professionals yeah. and people that have. Um, I, I know that um, I had a really good job when I was going through it. I was able to navigate the system. Um, and leave it, go and buy myself a new house and find myself private counselling. Um, whilst it was, you know, just as I was ex... My situation soon after that we can talk about was very different afterwards financially. But at the time, it, there was such a stigma that I felt for me. I There's no way I could have come out and sought support and fallen into the system, if you like, um, that would have meant that I would have been part of the statistics that we have today. Yeah. And the vast majority of people are are hidden. Yeah. And they're not in those statistics. So we don't have those numbers. You go. I was so. also going to say there's also factors like cultural factors as well. You yeah. know, there's, yeah. there's, there's many cultures where this kind of stuff is the norm. Um, I've got a one of my best mates is a police officer, and I've heard stories from her attending houses from you know uh, residences and homes, families from different cultural backgrounds, where it's horrific and is unreported. It doesn't. It doesn't. Not spoken about. No, no one wants to lay charges. No one like you know. They just it's it's not expected, but it's just the norm still now. You know, and it's I don't know. This is not a question, just a comment. Yeah, no, I was thinking about that before too, but I couldn't really, yeah, get a clear. I know of it, but I don't have a clear enough example to yeah speak of. I've heard some. Yeah, some horrific stories. Um, It is. It's it's shocking, and I mean that's the other really confronting part is like we have got no idea the exact amount of people out there that are and and probably don't even realize that they are and that's a that's a really important point that the awareness is so key that we do um at the moment in queensland there's a move to criminalize coercive control yeah is, is that gone through no it's in it's in early stages um and uh there's a task force that's been established to put that case together yeah. um but we we need to get our heads around what is domestic and family violence. So 
Last year, there was um, a study undertaken by White Ribbon. Some research and figures came out that said, I think it was something like 46% of 18 to 24-year-olds don't see hitting someone as domestic violence. Now, if we don't see something Hold as on, obvious... Say, that again. If it was, uh, say the stat again. 46%. I think it was 46% of 18 to 24-year-olds don't regard hitting somebody as domestic and family violence. Now... If we that seems odd. don't view something that's so overtly violent as domestic violence, then how are we going to get our heads around things that are more subtle? And this is why awareness and education is so key that we, we let people know what domestic and family violence is so that if they're... If they're impacted by it, they recognise it and take action to seek support. But there may well be people who are perpetrating it that because it's not overtly violent, it's a different form of abuse, they may not recognise that what they're doing is so wrong and seek support to stop what they're doing. So that awareness and education is really important. It's like a very confronting statistic. I wonder if you take the term domestic out of that and ask the same group about punching someone if they consider that violence what the answer would be because that simplifies it mm. right and it's like well it's the same yeah. thing it's <laughs> like a, yeah that's crazy the, um so that, yeah there's, there's a there's a there's clearly a distinct lack of education for young people i think what's happening in schools is it around this topic is is anything happening yeah never never there was there's more happening around respectful relationships, but we've still got a long way to go. We've got a long way to go in all aspects of, yes, stopping um, stopping the generation coming through, but also to, to stop what's happening right now. And it, and it speaks to different things that have, have also been, you know, under the spotlight lately. And in our, one of our most recent podcasts with Bob Godwin, uh, you know, things about consent and understanding what consent means. Um, and it, it, it boggles my mind... Because I believe I understand what consent means. I, I find it hard to believe that people don't. Um, and same, you know, I suppose like this domestic violence topic as well. I believe that I understand what's right and what's wrong and it boggles my mind that other people don't. Yeah, and, and playing off that, the question would be is why do you think people don't know? And is it because they're of their upbringing, what they've been viewing, the people are hanging out with? You know, what are the? Where is it all stemming from? Oh, that's a really obviously a massive yeah. question. <laughs> that's a massive question. But I mean, is it Look, is it mental health? Is it just people not being uh, mentally aware and and per, like self aware of who they are and what what they're doing? I would say I would argue yes for that. And emotion <laughs> emotional regulation is a huge one. Emotional intelligence and understanding is massive. Like surely, right. And it's still a topic people don't want to talk about, which is why we're talking about yeah, it today. I know, I know. So it's a topic that people, like I say, um, there are times now I'm in the pub and I talk about what I do and people are more open to have that conversation. But I can also say that I'll go into a room and I might, someone might say, what do you do for a living? And I talk about Workhaven and domestic violence and you see them recoil and go, oh God, this is uncomfortable. I don't want to talk about this, which is why we need to talk about it. Yeah, that, um, <laughs> absolutely. The, the power of domestic violence lies in its stigma. The fact that we don't want to talk about it, we don't want to get it out on the table. Um, people who are impacted by domestic violence protect the, the big secret because they feel embarrassed even though it's not their shame to carry. And so 
if we can start stimulating these open conversations where we can talk about it and we can talk about what it is and we can call people out and we can reach out to help people, then we're really heading in the right direction. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm interested. Okay, we've got to get on to work, Haven, because we can... But before, before <laughs> you do... I'm, I'm just, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, I've, I've got Sorry. one before we do as well. i um, one of them bank here. Righto. <laughs> Keep that one on ice, big boy. Um, <laughs> so we talk a lot about the victims of domestic violence. Well, obviously we talk about both the victims and the perpetrators, but the spotlight and like, you know, we talked about before... Well, I said, you know, the common phrase of why why doesn't she leave? And you said, why doesn't he stop? Yeah. What is there for perpetrators who, if they have the capacity to identify that they are a perpetrator and want to address that, is there anything out there for for those people? Is there like a safe space for those people to try to, you know, rehabilitate, rehabilitate yeah. themselves. Yeah, um, there are male perpetrator programs, so male men behaviour change programs. There's a men's line. There's um, a range of different resources for men that want to make that change. The first step is recognise. There's two steps to it, in my view, and this is just the world according to me. Um, but the the first one is um, recognising that there's a need to change, and the second one is wanting to change and making that commitment. So, and and that change is when we talk about behaviour change programs it's also attitude change programs so um, there needs to be a real shift and often that will be generational it'll be um, a um, long-term attitude towards um, relationships so there's definitely and you hear stories of of men who have turned the corner and come around and actually are really staunch advocates in the stand against domestic and family violence which is amazing so yes there are there are resources out there, um, but it's really about men recognizing what is domestic violence, and it goes way beyond violence, like physical violence, mm-hmm. um, but also wanting to be the best person that they can be, and that's really what it all comes down because to. You hear very, very. I mean, you said there are men out there who um, have rehabilitated themselves or who have changed and identified that they were that, but I have never heard. From one well, of that, a, a, from a person like that. I was, I was saying to Joe before, Lance, um, my wife and I were talking about this um, after there was an incident last week, wasn't there? Um, uh, was that in Brisbane? Uh, no, but down in Victoria, anyway, yeah, yeah. I believe it was. The, it was the one, the one last week, and and my wife and I were talking about it, and and Lance brought up an interesting um, thing. I was talking to Joe about it before. Was that we never. Um, hear from the from the perpetrator's side of things and what we can do to assist them because obviously there's two people in need of a lot of help right there's no doubt but it's like where do because you never you never do really hear from the from the other side yeah um, and obviously and they don't want to be saying I'm an abuser which I can understand mm-hmm. but it's like how can we help break that cycle and get them out of it because that's it it's, it's just as important otherwise because they're just going to keep hurting more people yeah, right. I, I I agree. Um, and it would be good to hear from some, I guess I guess blokes who have been on that side of things. Yeah, who can yeah. who have because that it takes, it definitely takes just as much courage to own that and talk about that side of things. But I don't think we're hearing about that enough. Oh, I've never heard of it. I've never heard of it. 
there, for there, sure. there would be men out there that you can talk to. It's not my area of expertise, no, so no, I probably no, won't we're talk just, about we're it today. But, yeah. but you're you're absolutely right. It's it would be very interesting to speak to somebody who mm. made that made that turnaround. Yeah, and, and very inspiring. Well, my last hear. question till we get on to work, Hayden, because <laughs> I I'm sure uh, we'll get there <laughs> eventually. <laughs> my my question is, what was your journey out? What was your journey out once you knew that you're in a, a domestic and family violence situation, and then you had to you had to leave? There was a, a, a I'm sure a breaking point where you're like, this is over, I've got to go. What was that journey? What did it look like? It had been coming for a while. I knew that things were escalating and my life was getting getting more and more difficult and there was a significant ish, in, incident and which led to me, it was just a black and white decision. I knew I had to go. Um, I I just made a decision and I... Um, I, le- I I didn't um, – I was in a situation where I didn't need to sort of uh, leave the home and just um, – uh, I was fortunate enough I didn't need to go into shelter. Um, I let them know that I, I did consider that though. I did consider just leaving, um, but I didn't. I came home and I had a conversation with them and said that was what was going to happen. It was a very sad time. It was like the end of any relationship. It was a very sad moment. Um, I was really scared. I was overwhelmed, but I was also really relieved so I left my situation and um, we'll talk about the work side of things, I'm sure, with Workhaven in a moment when we get there. Um, but um, that was more challenging. I was, um, for me, the the um, abuse didn't cease the moment I left that home. Um, it continued, at which point I reached out to the police and Brisbane Domestic Violence Service who supported me and they were absolutely incredible um and they helped me make sense of what had happened and enabled me to build that roadmap moving forward something I want to make really clear um and this is a very important message is that it is a scary time to leave a domestic violence situation but domestic violence does not define anyone um and you can rebuild and I'd like to think that I'm proof that you can rebuild your life after domestic and family violence and you will always remember things and you it will shape uh, things in your life um but you you, it doesn't define you you can move forward and rebuild and that's what i've sought to do ever since i left my situation absolutely um so it's about finding the right supports and making sure that you put one foot in front of the other and you address the things whether they're fear overwhelm financial challenges, whatever that looks like, um, and you address each of those and, and move forward. And Well and said. What, well said. And when you've come out of that situation, oh, sorry, I'm going again. When you come out of that situation and you're telling family and friends and colleagues of what you've been through, and it's sort of touching on what you said earlier, it's sort of like I'm sure a lot of them were just like, why didn't you leave earlier? Mm. And that would have been so hard to go through that and just be like, Fuck, I'm being so vulnerable here and I'm telling you what I've been through. I don't need you to fucking tell me what I should or shouldn't have done or how to do it better. Oh, and also families thinking, I wish I knew. I wish yeah. I could have done something. What I had no idea. Like, why didn't you tell me? Like, yeah, yeah. That has well, to have been a very hard thing to navigate. Yeah, I suppose... Speaking of families, um, you mentioned at the beginning of the, the podcast that I'm from the southeast of England. My mum still lives there. And so she was 12,000 miles away. And I, and I wouldn't have given her the full picture of what was happening simply because I wouldn't want to worry someone that had mm. absolutely no, no ability to be there with me. Um, 
And with, but the thing with the story is that it's my story and I chose when I told it. I didn't have, and I still feel very strongly around, um, I'm quite open about what happened to me. But if I didn't want to talk about it, I wouldn't. And I share the parts that I choose to. I don't have to tell everybody all of what happened. Um, and, and I think it's um, a victim make, needs to make that decision. They don't have to tell everyone. They don't have to tell anyone. They they can talk about what they're comfortable about talking about. And it's really important that we empower victims of domestic violence that in every element of their life, their hands are on the steering wheel from there on in. Um, because often domestic violence victims are so disempowered through their process. So, um, yes, it was a hard thing to come out out with and um, I guess as I've grown stronger and my confidence has um, grown and I've become more and more clear about what happened and what went wrong I feel really confident and um, a few years ago if someone had said to me why didn't you leave I'd get angry or upset you know I'd leave the room in tears and I'd feel really resentful and I'd start questioning myself I don't do that anymore I can answer that question and I feel very strongly about the response but um, people don't have to come out and just simple similarly to what we talked about at the beginning of the interview um, you know perpetrators don't wear a t-shirt saying that they're a perpetrator victims of domestic violence don't have to wear a t-shirt saying they're a victim of domestic violence they get to own and choose who they tell their story to yeah and absolutely. I feel like it must um, you know hopefully be become empowering for you the more that and, and for others the more that it's told if and when it is told um, so I mean it's awesome that you can lead by example for a lot of people out there because there would be many many people who haven't yet found the courage or the confidence to talk about it and hearing any story can just spark that little bit of you know that little light that might just help them open up to something they haven't been able to Thank you. And it's, I have to say, whenever I talk about my experience, and I've been an ambassador for Brisbane Domestic Violence Service for the last five years, so I've done a lot of speaking on the topic. And whenever I talk about it, it's cathartic. It makes me look back to the woman I was and the situation I was in and the difference today and how I feel. I feel happy, fulfilled, confident. And I feel that through Workhaven, I'm actually making a difference. And that's a quantum shift from the person I was. And so thank you for having me along today to talk about <laughs> it. Because it's, it's a, no you know, worries. it's it's a, a real privilege to be able to do it. But it also makes me realise how much has evolved. Since. Oh, the impact that these, these conversations have are profound. Righto. Yeah. Let's go there. Because we've dropped Workhaven <laughs> a few times. You're feeling go empowered. You've yes. got there. So yeah. tell us about Workhaven and the amazing work that you do now. Because, yeah, this is something that, that I'm, I'm super interested in. Yeah. So we know from our engagement and also there's research at the moment that shows that businesses understand this is an issue. They understand that domestic and family violence is a workplace topic because of its impacts it has on the workplace and they want to do something. Generally, most organisations we speak to are, we want to do something, we just don't know how to do it. So um, there's push from the government say, look, you, you guys need to step up and do something. And as I say, there's people saying, we want to do it whether that's leaders, staff, um, influencers, everybody knows that workplaces need to do something. But what do they do? And so what we want to do is, or what we do is work with organisations to make a tangible, meaningful difference. So we look at where they're at. So some organisations may be doing nothing around domestic and family violence support and awareness. So we'll start off in at a beginning 
you know, beginning place with them. Some people are doing something already, but they want to make it bigger and better. And other people are doing it, but it's not working. In which case, we'll go in and go, well, where are you at? What are the challenges you're facing? What, what, what does your workplace look like? What do your staff look like? What are they interested in? What's the culture like? And we'll build a solution from there. So we, do, we go and ask a lot of questions to start with. And then we'll look at what they've currently got in place or what they'd like to put in place, what's best suited to their employees. And as I said to you before, it's really important that a workplace solution to domestic and family violence reflects the complexity of the situation. So there's no point having a one-size-fits-all solution that, you know, um, you you get your um, domestic violence leave. And tick the box. Tick the box yeah. and off you go, you're going to be fine. We need to We need workplaces to understand that this is a human issue and we're dealing with humans, and everybody's different. So thinking about what those solutions might look like, some flexibility, some change to role, making sure that person's safe, whether they're at work or they were on their way to and from work, making sure that there's check-ins with them, that there's somebody at work that knows what's happening, that they can download to and share what's an update, um, making sure that, that they are being provided with leave if they need it, or their you know domestic violence leave, that they've got the flexible work around arrangements in place but there's a whole range of different things that workplaces can do and I think sometimes they shy away from it thinking it's going to cost them money but in actual fact a lot of the solutions that we discuss with businesses won't cost them money they're just practical solutions that will help lighten the load for somebody or get them to safety or remove some of the stress that they will have in their life at that point in time. I mean, I'm not. I don't have any statistics to go off, but any investment into the emotional wellness of your workplace pays huge dividends in the long run, just for your business. You know, Absolutely. financially, not to mention the culture, the productivity, the, all of that sort of stuff, right? So, I suppose businesses need to be looking at this kind of thing and seeing it as an investment, not only into their people, but into their into their bottom line. Absolutely. So we know that domestic violence costs the economy approximately twenty two billion dollars a year. And that costs the government, that costs employers, and that costs victims of domestic violence that money. We also know that there's a huge cost by um, presenteeism or absenteeism, either people not being able to come to work because they're impacted by domestic violence or when they're at work just not working to full capacity because of the impacts. We know that people often leave their jobs because of domestic and family violence, which means that people lose good people. So having... a, And I also believe that... A workplace that takes a decent stand against domestic violence is a workplace I want to work for. Mm. It says it says speaks volumes about what the kind of workplace it is and the care. culture. It mm. says that you care, and most importantly, it's the bloody right thing to do. Mm. So, workplace is getting bloody involved. oath. It is bloody oath. Look, <laughs> I sound a, Australian. This, that, this, that, was, that was great. The <laughs> is gone. This is a this is a a very interesting uh, way of creating you know, it's not a blanket solution, but a solution to this problem. Part of the solution, yeah. Part of the solution because it's um yeah, I think it's I think it's a cool way of, of going about it. And how well, did you think of doing it this way? Why why was this the, the 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 avenue you wanted to go down rather than, you know, just creating awareness and getting out and having a day and, you know Yeah. Well, why, why was this the idea? The um, So in my personal situation, I had a really good job in the construction industry. I loved my job. Um, but 
as things started to descend at home and things started to implode, um, it definitely impacted me at work. And unfortunately, my employer didn't understand and they did nothing. In fact, I would say that they probably made my situation worse. And as a result of that, so very soon after I left my domestic violence situation, I also left my career and um, and my career fell off a cliff face and I was on the bare bones of my bum financially and um, I didn't want anyone to ever go through that again. So I had already, through during that time, I developed a program to support women to rebuild their lives after domestic and family violence. So in addition to my marketing profession, I'm also a qualified coach and I developed a program that walked with women to rebuild all the elements of their life that had been impacted because domestic violence isn't just about your relationship breaking down. It would be about your family, your confidence, your finances, your health. It would completely rock your entire foundation. It's like a hand grenade being thrown into the middle Mm. of your life. So I developed a program to support women to rebuild their life and I believe it's the only one of its kind um it, it's a unique program and I was doing a lot of work on that and I this after I, I did a lot of work to rebuild my confidence and I went to see this phenomenal recruiter um called David Wilson and we, he looked at my resume and went this makes no sense it's got a cliff edge here what happened so I told him my story and we got talking about my domestic violence program and we spent about two years discussing he's um he's a corporate coach and leader he understands the needs of businesses and we realized there was a gap in providing that support for workplaces to take a stand um through not just through what i've discussed already we also do um, communications and awareness within the workplace we do significant champions training that um teaches people what is domestic violence but also gives them the resources within their business and within their industry to make a meaningful change around domestic violence and behaviour. Um, and we provide the coaching program for employees who've been impacted by domestic violence to help them move forward with their lives. So we created the model of Workhaven in consultation with each other. And um, and that's where it was born. Oh, wow. And how long has, how long has Workhaven been going for? Now? So we... Since last year, actually. Okay. So we're, we're, we're new. We take a fresh approach. We're quite proudly new, actually. Awesome. It was something that at the beginning I sort of was quite embarrassed about, saying, oh, we're new to the sector. And um, But now I think that... We need more new organisations to the It's those well. fresh eyes, <laughs> yeah. you know. We, we're... Um, it's a, an, uh, an issue that we've treated, you know, that saying um, the definition of madness is doing the same thing over again that, and expecting yeah. a different result. And I think that that warrants a fresh approach to domestic and family violence. And that's what I'd like to think that Workhaven brings to the table. It is innovative. It is new. We work with partner organisations like this incredible organisation called Stand By You Foundation um, that delivers connectivity and understanding to people in need. And we, we look to work with people who are doing things differently to bring that change that we need. But our focus is number one in the workplace. And it doesn't matter whether it's a big workplace or a little one. Um, we come and work with the organisation to turn that around and create that support and understanding and awareness. Um, and also to help people rebuild their lives afterwards i'm inspired by your passion absolutely it comes through it's oozing out of you and i think the proof is in the pudding that you know there's so much benefit in in harnessing lived experience along with passion and you know a genuine determination and drive 
to really make an impact in a space like this. So I think it's hard to work without it, isn't it? You yeah. know what I mean, to think that there's someone out there that'll be pushing this message that hasn't come from a lived experience. It's sort of like, mate, why do you give a fuck? Well, I just you know, I don't think with, with such heavy, you know, with such a heavy topic as well. I think you know, you it needs the authenticity. You need that, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. yeah, and it's like, and, and don't get me wrong. I mean, there's. Um, Anyone that's listening to this podcast that started a business, you guys would understand <laughs> this. No, it's not for the faint-hearted. Like you need. Oh, let's start a business. Be brave to start a business. We started a mental health organisation and have suffered the effects of mental <laughs> health yeah, exactly. within the business. <laughs> and, and 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 you would get this as well. You you know, it's a conf- mental health is a confronting topic. So is domestic and family violence. So there's mornings I get up and go, oh God, I've got to be brave today. Game um, face. But in actual fact. Then I look back to the girl that was those years ago or the woman that was that those years ago and I think she wants me to do this today yeah. and she needs me to do this today. So that's it. It's about not wanting someone else to go through what I went through and mm. that's what Workhaven works towards every single day. Um, can I ask um, marketing brain, but, you know, the name Workhaven makes me think that, um, you know, quite often a workplace is a, um, a victim's only safe haven yep. from domestic violence. Is that... That's, that, that's where it came from, yeah. absolutely. Actually, a conversation in the pub. <laughs> that's oh, really? where, where all marketing good business pl- Business plan on a coaster again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, um, and um, absolutely, a, a workplace should be somebody's safe haven and um, it should be somebody that somewhere that somebody can come to focus on what they want, what they're there to do at work without being clouded by other things that are happening in their lives. And workplaces need to support their workers to be able to do that. Fantastic. That's something we're doing in this business. We're going to make it happen. Well, what, we're going to um, have to get you to come in. What's, uh, what does the, the sort of the future kind of look like for you? Joe, what have you got? Have you got plans, or have you, are you sort of just you know flying by the seat of your pants at the moment and letting it all happen around you? Well, I think the flying by the seat of the pants has settled down a little bit. I think all of us in you know new businesses do a lot of that. Um, I mean, and, we still and are still doing it. <laughs> there's still a lot of spontaneity, and there's still um, a lot of um, workshopping with partner organisations to look at what we can do together. But really, it's more of the same. It's more about creating those um, those environments for workplaces where they can support and create understanding. It's more about walking with people who are impacted by domestic and family violence and looking at that broader rollout of that program so that more people can access it. And also, um, I really want to look more at focusing on small businesses because um, we, we do a lot with large businesses and that's brilliant. There's also a space for small businesses that don't have that bandwidth to think about their response to domestic and family violence and need that extra support to actually get a response up and happening so that's definitely an area of interest too mm, well i can i can wholeheartedly say on behalf of ed the entire trade mutt community and broadly the blue collar community you wholeheartedly absolutely have an ally in us and anything that we can do to assist the work that you do we are right behind you 100 percent of the way because it's so important and we're so lucky to have people like you in the world thank you so much and guys look feel free to share my details with anyone Please. that's listening hit us with it all hit us with it your time any of you that are listening please reach out to Workhaven or to me personally I'm happy for the guys to share my details Um, and um, yeah let's get in touch and see what we can do so that's uh, workhaven.com workhaven.com.au yep lovely LinkedIn 
Uh, LinkedIn, absolutely. Look at Workhaven or find me, Joe Mason, on LinkedIn. Um, and yeah, get in touch. Please do. Yeah, really appreciate your time, Joe. Really appreciate um, yeah, you showing your vulnerability and sharing your story today. I couldn't imagine what that feels like because, um, yeah, of all the weird things and you, you can't really talk about the perpetrator um, and, and what exactly, you know, yeah, exactly went on because it's just this it's just weird... It's so just, sensitive. Yeah, it? it's, it's such a so sensitive, sensitive, wild topic. Um, and we, yeah, really appreciate your, your courage and, and what you're doing, like Dan said. Um, and yeah, if we can be of any assistance at all, please um, let us know. But yeah, thanks so much for your time today. I would just like to chuck in at the end there. Obviously, this kind of topic can bring up all sorts of issues for anyone. Um, and so, yeah, we've obviously got um, some trained mental health professionals right above us here with TAC. So Sitting if anyone, upstairs. If anyone wants to reach out and have a yarn with a psychologist at all, please feel free, www.tax.org or 0488-469-88. Joe, I reckon there's going to be a follow-up podcast sometime down the track, so let's do right. it again sometime. Ready for it any time. Thank you. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Oh. I hope that was okay. If I stop, I'll die. <laughs>